Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm James. And I'm Faye. This coming week, the 11th of January, Cambridge Clean Tech are holding their Adventure Day in London. Cambridge Clean Tech are one of the many nationally and internationally recognised networks based here in Cambridge. So to find out more, let's talk to Martin Garrett, CEO of Cambridge Clean Tech. Hi, Martin. It's great to have you with us on the podcast today. Why don't you start by just introducing yourself and Cambridge Clean Tech? Hi, Faye. Uh, Delighted to be here with you. Um, A little bit about my own uh, background. I'm uh, actually a town planner by profession. I studied up at Manchester uh, University many moons ago. And after that, worked for IBM as a major corporate. I've also worked for Boots the Chemists uh, in Nottingham in their head office. And in between those two roles, I was a city centre manager for for the city of Nottingham itself, which was a public-private partnership uh, to bring together uh, the retailers, the businesses, uh, the public sector to promote, which uh, was at the time a top 10 retail destination as a city uh, in the UK. I won a number of awards in that particular position, and then it was at that stage that I then went on to work for Boots, who, as you may well know, are based uh, in Nottingham. I then came down to Cambridge at the turn of the century, going back uh, just over 20 years to head up what was known as the Greater Cambridge Partnership, uh, which was the Economic Development Partnership for the city region at the time, and uh, undertook a number of initiatives to improve the um, the economy in the city, uh, working with, uh, some of you may recall, EDA, the East of England Regional Development Authority. They became defunct uh, when the uh, coalition government came into power. Some of you may remember Eric Pickles, the larger-than-life character in more ways than one, who actually abolished all of the regional development agencies. But he actually made that announcement in Cambridge 18 months before coming into power. So that gave us 18 months to say, right, what should we do as, as the then economic uh, partnership? And we decided, having just undertaken a strategy for the cleantech sector, uh, with one of only 12 recommendations being to set up a new uh, cleantech network, that it would be a good idea that we would take that forward ourselves. We put up our hands and said to our board at the time, we'll take that forward, we'll become Cambridge Cleantech. And the board gave us the nod. We spent 18 months preparing for that and we we launched Anglia Ruskin University um, in the main uh, uh, business uh, lecture theatre there, the Ashcroft Lecture Theatre. We had uh, 350 people turn up to the breakfast launch and we already had 50 members. So uh, we had quite a good bit of time to prepare to set up Cambridge Clean Tech. That's a great start. And, you know, the fact that something came out of public sector as well is really positive, isn't it? So tell us a little bit more about Cambridge Clean Tech then. What's your your mission, your objectives? What's your reach? Because I believe, you know, although you're Cambridge Clean Tech, it's a national, international organisation. Uh, yeah, well, maybe just to uh, clarify things, I'll start off with the definition of clean tech. So we use the UK government's low carbon environmental goods and services or LKEG's definition, which is quite a mouthful, which is why we call it clean tech. Instead, and of course, a bit of alliteration as we call Cambridge clean tech. Um, and that's threefold. Uh, so that includes uh, or incorporates renewable energy, so wind, wave, photovoltaic. It includes the other side of the coin uh, using less energy. 
Uh, so that might be smart cities, uh, low carbon vehicles, smart grid, and so on. And also the environmental subsectors, uh, which would include, for example, waste management and water treatment. So it's a fairly broad definition that we use. And our overall mission is to provide business support services uh, to make this uh, city region of Cambridge uh, and, and beyond the whole region uh, one of the uh, leading advocates or one of the leading centres or clusters for that clean tech sector in the way I've just defined it, both in the UK, across Europe uh, and internationally. So the organisations you work with, do they have to be geographically located in Cambridge or do you work with national and international companies as well? Uh, we work uh, firstly within the Cambridge uh, subregion, yeah. so a very large proportion of our members will be from the uh, from the Cambridge area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have many other members across the UK, and of course we work with national government as well. Um, I should say as well, about four or five years ago, we were asked to step in and help set up our sister organisation in Oxford okay. called Oxfordshire Green Tech which we did at the time as a subcontractor working on behalf of the universities and the local authorities in Oxford. But we'd been quite transparent and said that by the end of the um, phase of setting up uh, the new partnership that we wanted a seat at the top table and we would be uh, you know, part owners of Oxford Green Tech, which we now are uh, with our local counterparts. So we work across the Oxford to Cambridge corridor. We do work for the Mayor of London's uh, clean tech team. So you could possibly argue that we have created this sort of green triangle. You've mm. heard of the golden triangle, no doubt, but there's the green triangle, as we call it, between London, Oxford and Cambridge, a highly dynamic region uh, with many innovators uh, in the clean tech sector. Mm. I think that's quite consistent as well with other networks, you know, that start in Cambridge. So you've got CW, you've got Agritech East that's now Agritech E because it's, you know, much broader. So I think that's that's a good recognition of what we do in Cambridge. Yes, we work closely with those colleagues in the other networks. And I believe you've been the chief executive for 12 years. So you must have seen both enormous change and progress on the technology side, but also an increase in the kind of political focus of these kinds of solutions. So what, what, what are you seeing? What changes have you seen over that time and, and highlights? And, you know, where do you think we are right now in terms of where we need to be? Uh, well, what I would say is I think when we first started 10, 11 years ago, uh, the issue of sustainability and the opportunities in clean tech were maybe sort of mid-table in terms of the priorities, be it they of, of private companies or, or the public sector academia. Uh, but I would say things probably started to really change maybe since uh, the Paris Accord in 2016. So you're familiar, no doubt, your your listeners with the COP series of events. These are the conference of the parties, which involves countries from around the globe uh, meeting together. So 12 months ago, it was in Glasgow. I went up to that event in Glasgow myself. And of course, more recently, we've had the event um, in Egypt. Uh, but what we're seeing now is that sustainability and the opportunities in clean tech are right at the top of the table. Be you a corporate business, uh, an SME innovator within the sector, whether you're in government, be it local or, or national, and across academia um, as well. And in fact, since 2016, since that Paris Accord that I mentioned, there's been a 4.9-fold increase in funding from the private sector into the clean tech sectors that I mentioned earlier. And there's annually now about 32 billion US dollars are pumped into the sector globally. Because at Tech Nation, the end of last year, they put a report out saying the UK climate tech sector alone was doubling in investment to like 6.4 billion. So it's it's really positive. My question is, do you get, you've been doing this for over 10 years. 
and there's so much focus now. Do you ever get frustrated that actually you were saying these things 10 years ago and like, come on, everyone, or are you just really pleased that everyone is on the mission now? Um, yeah, I think you could sit and dwell and think, well, it's a bit frustrating because we started 12 years ago and everybody's now joining the bandwagon. Uh, but I just look forward and think that it's a, a very positive climate in which we're operating at the moment. And I think the thing I would add to that technician report that you mentioned is that the jobs in the clean tech sector are very high GVA jobs, the highly productive jobs. So that is one of the UK government's sort of key objectives at the moment is to increase the productivity across the UK. And clean tech sector jobs are, are highly productive. We, we've done our own work on that. So why don't we now talk about the Venture Days itself? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what they are, how did the Ventures get involved and who attends? Uh, yes, by all means. I mean, maybe just to give you a little bit of background, um, we regularly survey our members to find out what their priorities are. And um, just about every year since we've started, access to finance has been the number one issue or priority for the companies which we uh, support in the clean tech sector. So about six years ago, we started to think, well, could we do something more than just the special interest group and the after work events? They've been very successful and popular. Uh, but was there something we could do that's a bit more exciting, maybe along the sort of Dragon's Den style that you see on the television? And we looked around to see, there's no point reinventing the wheel, so we looked around to see what, what else there was out there in the UK and Europe. Uh, there were three or four or five different formats that uh, we had a look at and we had conversations with the owners of those existing types of events. Uh, the one we really uh, focused in on and liked were colleagues from Helsinki and um, a town called Lati, which is about an hour north of uh, Helsinki uh, in Finland. We liked the format. It involved getting all the investors together first to, to have a chat and talk to each other and who'd had to have a haircut and who was doing well and who wanted to work together and do a joint venture and putting funding together and so on. Uh, lots of networking, not too many speakers. So they had a maximum of 24 speakers. We saw some of the other formats that had like 50 speakers a day, which, you know, you're sort of brain dead by the end of it. So we liked the format overall, and we uh, entered a partnership with them. And we were doing events to begin with, both in Helsinki and London uh, on an alternate basis, uh, following the format I've just described. And we've now been doing those for six years, and we now do two of those events actually a year. As you mentioned earlier, the next one is on the um, 11th of January in London. The process for that is that, say, about four or five months prior, we set out uh, the application form and asked people to apply to a uh, pitch at the particular event. And ordinarily, we'll get about 120 applicants from the clean tech sector who are looking for funding. And we have an independent group of judges. So we have the head of enterprise at KPMG. We have um, a number of uh, investors who will take a look at the 100-odd applications. And they are the people separate to us as the executive of Cambridge Cleantech who actually score the companies and say, these 18, as we're going to have uh, on the 11th of January or 24, if it's 24, are the most investment ready. Now, that doesn't mean the other 80 are not good. It just means they're not as investment ready as those that we have chosen to pitch at the Venture Day. We then take those 18, because what we do find in Cambridge is that people are very good in the white coat and holding the Bunsen burner. They're in the comfort zone. Uh, put them in front of an audience, and it can be quite different. So working with one of our uh, founder members, J.E. Kemp, uh, we'll be holding a training day for the companies prior to the pitching day itself, just to give them the basics um, and some of the common sense points about good presentation skills, and also to hear from investors in terms of what they'll be uh, looking for on the day. So we've taken them through that process already, and they'll then be better equipped to face the audience, which will be a room full of investors at Barclays in Canary Wharf on the 11th of January. And they'll have five minutes to pitch, 
And this is the Dragon's Den bit then. That's followed by a quickfire uh, series of questions by three experts, investors. We'll ask them a quick question. And it's a chance really uh, for the speaker that, who will have only had five minutes to pitch to actually elaborate on, on their particular innovation and product and uh, provide more information for the room full of investors. That's interesting. So it sounds like it's been going for a number of years. So have there been some standout success stories that have gone through that process and raised financing and then gone on to bigger and better things? Oh, very much so, yeah. We do try to keep a tally and a check on who's received funding following the uh, the Venture Day event. It can be quite tricky because some of the investment is confidential. Mm. And I think sometimes some of the innovators think that we're looking for a cut in terms of having done the introduction. We don't take a cut at all. We do try to make that as clear as possible. But companies like Airex, uh, which is a company that does a smart sensor for residential buildings. Uh, so these are air bricks, which traditionally in, in my house, your house, you think, well, sh- should the air brick be open or closed? What should I do? This has a sensor inside, a smart sensor that does all of that work for you. It takes a temperature inside the house and outside and decides whether the particular brick should be open or closed. Particularly useful for, uh, for social housing. Uh, they presented at one of our events and from a major UK uh, bank, they received several million pounds and are now post-production in markets selling those products to uh, housing associations and others. So that's just one example. But overall, in the last five years, we've actually helped raise 35 million GV pounds for companies pitching at those events. So the, the stage of the companies when they present to you, have they have they raised money at that stage, or is this their first kind of funding round? Are they, you know, where are they in that kind of maturity of the of their business idea? Um, it will vary. I mean, most companies are looking for probably tens if not hundreds of thousands of pounds, maybe up to a million. In terms of the, the, the product development, they may already be in market and they're looking to expand. Yeah. So it's that sort of um, beyond the very early stages, yep. you know, it's, it's beyond proof of concept ordinarily, uh, that they're, they're already in the market, they're looking to expand and they're looking for further funding to to grow their market share basically. So can you tell us anything about the finalists this year that we're going to be hearing from next week? Are there any highlights from those companies? Um, Yes, by all means. I mean, we don't know, of course, which companies are going to apply for any particular uh, venture day. And as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the judging is done by an independent panel of experts. Uh, including investors. So we don't know what the topics are going to be. But once we have the, in this case, the 18 companies ready to pitch, we take a look and see if we can group them into sectors. Uh, So for the Venture Day on the 11th, we have energy transition, as we call it. That's energy generation storage, the circular economy. Uh, We have transport, local vehicles. And we've also got uh, carbon capture and storage. So just a couple of examples of companies uh, that happen to be Cambridge-based. I should say there are only a couple of Cambridge-based companies at this particular venture day. It's truly a national and international event. But in the um, circular economy, we have Cambridge Smart Plastics, uh, for example, who do clever things with very thin uh, film plastics. And I know you're going to hear from them uh, later on today. And uh, within the transport uh, category, uh, we have Cambridge Electric Transport, who have been in the Cambridge area for some time uh, with bike share schemes and are now developing a sort of a a four-wheeler concept car that they've received funding from, from Innovate UK, and are looking to to match that funding from the the private sector. So both of those companies will be pitching on the 11th. So you've been doing this for a long time now. You've seen a lot of startups, I I guess, coming through the programme, the Venture Days. I mean, to, to kind of wrap things up, how confident are you feeling right now that maybe technology is going to be a big part of the solution to the, the challenges facing the planet? 
Um, I, th I think technology is going to take us a long way in, in towards our mission of uh, solving the uh, the climate crisis. Um, I don't think, I think everybody knows that we cannot continue as we are doing at the moment. Um, if you take a look at those last two COP um, events, the one in Glasgow uh, and the one in Egypt, I mean, the one in Glasgow, there were some agreements on forestry and methane and so on. Uh, but if you look at the graphs, it's only about a quarter. They, they, the actual pledges that were made are only about a quarter of what is required in terms of reducing uh, carbon dioxide uh, in the atmosphere to achieve the 1.5 degree centigrade target. And in Egypt, yes, hooray, the rich countries have agreed to fund the poor countries to overcome some of the uh, climate change issues, but there were no further agreements on CO2 outputs. So we, we need the technology, we need the ideas. Delighted to have as many people come along to the event on the 11th of January as possible. You'll see those 18 companies pitch. They're highly innovative. You're going to hear about Cambridge Smart Plastics. Uh, and Cambridge Electric Transport today, and they'll they'll provide some of those solutions to help ameliorate the climate crisis. So this is Cambridge Tech Podcast, and as Martin has suggested, we've got ventures pitching next week from London, Bristol, Oxford, and even as far away as Spain and Poland. But we're Cambridge Tech Podcast, so we're talking to the ventures that are coming out of Cambridge. So first up, we have Sean Maroney, who is CEO of Cambridge Electric Transport. So Sean, thank Hi. you for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Cambridge Electric Transport? What is it that you do? We're essentially a, a sustainable micromobility operation. We, we started in 2017 providing bike share services in and around Cambridgeshire. Cambridge Science Park is a key uh, customer of ours. We provide bike services for staff on the campus to, to use our bikes to commute into work uh, to replace their car journeys. Uh, we, we've, we're all, we also launched a community bike services in several villages around Cambridge, and those provide bike share services for residents of the villages in order to, to get out and about without using their cars. In parallel with that, we, we've been working on the development of um, the CityPod, which is a four-wheel electric bike, essentially, that um, enables people who want to avoid rain and weather and um, the arduousness of cycling to, to get into active travel. And that's really the, um, the the innovation that we'll be presenting on on uh, in the investment day. So, can you describe the city pod? It's like a covered um, vehicle. Yeah, the city pod is a four wheel electric bike, which is covered, and that provides weather protection. Uh, our experience with the bike share services is, is that um, you know usage drops dramatically in bad weather. And in addition, uh, its usage is, is limited to the young, fit and, and agile. Um, and so the, the, the objective of the city pod is to make it far more inclusive um, and um, to provide stability for older users. Um, it also has at the back a space for two children, so it's ideal for the school run. And um, there's also a cargo version, which we'll, we um, will we'll be uh, uh, promoting for for last mile deliveries. Mm. So, so is this able to travel on cycle paths or yes. on the main roads? It, it complies to e-bike regulations. Okay. So, uh, and is, is is fairly narrow, only seven seventy five centimeters wide, 
Um, so it, it will not be too intrusive on cycleways, but then can also go on 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 roads. Okay. Mm. And was um, was moving into your own product development always part of the plan of yes, the business? Yes, it was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. My co-founder was uh, Peter Daw, um, who had the, the the original vision for the City Pod. Um, he's still a, a, a shareholder in the business, but um, you know he's basically let me run with the with the concept. And Peter reached out to me last week, actually. So I wonder whether it was for the same very same reason. Right. Um. So in terms of where are you up to? You, you're looking for funding, I guess, by being involved in the in the venture day. What, yeah. Where are you up to, and what do you need next? Okay. So pre- at the moment, we're uh, engaged in our uh, prototype development project, which is, has been funded by an Innovate UK grant and also a grant from the Niche Vehicle Network. Uh, that's going to en- enable us to build um, prototype of each of the of the uh, the vehicle types, i.e., the passenger version and the cargo version. In our pitch now, we're really looking for investment funding to take it into production. Uh, We've identified a manufacturer. Two weeks ago, we went down to Dorset to meet with them. They're Portland Engineering down in in Dorset. And, um, you know, we feel that we've found the ideal manufacturing base to get into production by, we hope, by uh, third quarter 2023. So you're looking to keep manufacturing in the UK? That That is our uh, one of our key objectives, yes. Manufacturing and also the supply chain as much as yeah. possible into the UK. Obviously, a lot of the e-bike components that we use are sourced internationally, but we want to get into uh, UK supply chains as much as possible. What kind of range would this vehicle have? Because obviously right now uh, there's a lot of discussion about the future transport needs of the city and people coming in from, you know, village and outer city locations. Uh, what, what kind of daily commute can these uh, four-wheeled vehicles deliver? We're confident that we can achieve at least 20 miles. Mm-hmm. But, you know, users that uh, want to have a longer range can add additional battery packs. Right. There's going to be a flexible battery pack configuration under the driver's seat, which allows additional resource for that and is it kind of like a plug-in at home recharge overnight kind yeah, of thing? yeah exactly yeah, just yeah, yeah. A, yeah. a standard trickle charge as yeah. with an e-bike yeah and an important part of our innovation is um we we call into a hybrid uh power source um vehicle in that there will be power generated by the pedals yeah through a generator we're going to have um uh, regenerative ba- braking on the back wheels, uh-huh. and in addition, we're going to have a, a solar panel on the on the on the roof to okay. to also provide additional charge. So this would be available for private purchase. But are you also like Martin was talking to us earlier on about the evolution of Cambridge Clean Tech from the council? Mm-hmm. Um, are you looking like we have electric scooters and we've had electric bikes? Are you looking at this being a potential solution like that? Absolutely, yeah. We we want to work with the existing bike share services or shared mobility operators that are doing scooters and e-bikes and pedal bikes, and to provide them with this as an additional option in their in their fleets. That is uh, really how we, th- we 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 anticipate getting it out into the market on a, a widespread basis. But it will also be available for private ownership and use or lease. And then the, the cargo version, we want to talk to all the um, delivery companies, uh, courier companies, uh, fast food and, and grocery delivery companies. Mm. 
it's certainly very timely for Cambridge, if not, you know, on a much broader basis around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we believe it's time has come. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. So, so why don't we switch from talking about the product to, to maybe your experience with the whole Cambridge Clean Tech Venture Day process? Right. How did you find out about the uh, the opportunity and what was the application process like? And do you do this in isolation or are you kind of looking at lots of different kind of competitions and opportunities to showcase the, on the fundraising side of things? Yeah, well, we, we keep a lookout for multiple um, funding op- opportunities. And, you know, we've been members of um, Cambridge Clean Tech for three or four years now. Right. And in, in fact, we applied last year and, you know, we've kept monitoring the, the opportunity and and um, we were selected for, for this year, and uh, we're we'd delighted to be on board. Um, I think also uh, this, the, the timing for us is, is, is right now. This is the ideal time because we, we will have our at, at least a, a basic prototype to show in investors and our design ideas, as well as our market entry ideas, have, have progressed substantially over the year. So it's, it's great that it's an annual event that, so that, startups like us can keep trying, keep in touch and, uh, you know, just find the right uh, t- time to, to actually be in, 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 in the running. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. Good luck with the pitch. Thank you very much. So joining us now is our second Cambridge venture, Cambridge Smart Plastics Limited. And here to talk about it is CEO Andrew Terenchev. Good morning, guys. Hi. So, Andrew, uh, why don't we just start off with you kind of just taking us through the company and the product and what what you do? No, absolutely. Um, We're quite a young startup, so we're probably three years since incorporation. Um, and this technology that we're that we're pushing is really uh, addressing the plastics problem. Mm. I probably, I guess, your audience is probably well aware of this, but. Plastic content in the oceans will exceed fish mass by 2050. Uh, the plastics pack targets are pushing companies towards recycling, things like that. So we basically have to move away from petrochemical plastics. And what we're doing at Cambridge Smart Plastics is using natural polymers. So think cellulose or those shells of crabs, ketazan for more technical audience. Um, we're using polymers like that, which are biodegradable, abundant, to be honest, uh, and we're trying to replace uh, existing plastics with this more sustainably sourced thing. Now, specifically, uh, we're targeting barriers. So plastics are actually breathable to water and, and to air, and that's why you'll see a lot of, say, crisp packets or coffees. Uh, on the inside, they're all metalized, that shiny metal surface. That's because plastic itself is no good as a, as a barrier. And so industry has developed either chlorinated plastics, which are bad for a different set of reasons, or metals uh, to line that. And all of that makes the plastic unrecyclable forever. That's all burned. And we want to change that by by basically layering a barrier cellulose or barrier ketazan on the inside of, of polymers. So can you give us some examples of use cases and exactly how that would work? Yeah. Um, so, so where we're hoping to start is really those pouches that you'd imagine, maybe dog food or coffee or something like that, where you have a plastic substrate like a polyethylene or something to give a little bit of a shape to the material. And if you line the inside of that with our material, so it would be sold as a powder, which you would dilute in water and then coat on the surface. As the water evaporates, it deposits a very, very thin 0.03 millimeter thin layer of our material. But that 0.03 millimeters makes it a complete oxygen and water barrier. So you'd have your dog food or your coffee or whatever it is, uh, completely isolated, keeping its smell 
shelf life extended indefinitely. That would be sort of where we start. So do, do you have any of those um, examples in production now? Um, we're still lab-based. I'm going to do something which I know is absolutely outrageous for a podcast, but I'm going to show you a little picture or a video, and you have to verbalize it to your audience maybe because I asked the guys to, to make me a little demonstrator. So here we go. Maybe you can describe what you're seeing. So, so we've got an avocado. One on, on the, we've got a timeline, day four, the avocado slowly kind of going brown. On one side, yeah, it's on one, composing, and uh, on the left, is, it's much staying. slower. Yeah. yeah, much slower. That's right. So, so what we have here is just we took a little sheet of polyethylene uh, and we sealed it. So that's the same as your cling film. So if you imagine the one that's decomposing, mm -hmm. that's just cling film wrapped it up. And on the other side, we coated it with our material. It should not decompose at all, but we didn't make a vacuum or pump it with nitrogen or something to cheat. Um, so there's a little bit of decomposition from the mm -hmm. remaining moisture and air in there. But what you're seeing is basically the effect that our sustainable coating can make to plastics. So you wouldn't need to metallize it. You wouldn't need to use a chlorine-based plastic to protect something. Right. Um, so we're kind of hoping to start with protecting and sealing. We're not in production. Uh, we can do lab-scale stuff all day long. So what we hope to achieve from the Cleantech Venture Day was actually to raise money to go semi-industrial. It's kind of cute, but we're very much garage lab style. So the other day we were installing an infrared heater to evaporate the water and we had to buy a patio heater and our engineer had to rig it on one of those metal breadboards. And it's, it's, it's very much like garage stuff. So I'd love to slightly professionalize. A big challenge in our industry, materials especially, is very capex intensive. So like yeah. the machine we need is half a million quid. No one's going to give us that. Um, so we need a lot less capital, but to rent time at an existing pilot production line, things like that. So there are cheaper ways to get around that. Uh, and we want to go that direction rather than buy the big machines and things. Uh, but yeah, basically we're hoping to go semi-industrial scale so we can actually ship rolls to our customers. So I want to ask a question on the kind of where the idea came from. Mm. Have, you, have you been doing this through research at the university or where was that kind of spark of the, this could be an opportunity kind of thing? That's, Are you at IFM or somewhere? We're in the Department of Physics, which is physics? still West okay. Cambridge, same, yeah. same campus. Yeah. Um, okay. So we rent space there. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, the company started uh, on a completely different technology. So we have that as a pipeline thing, but a big lesson we learned uh, is that in academia, you invent stuff, sure, mm -hmm. uh, and you're trying to push it. So we had a new material. I still think it has a place in the market, but when you're pushing a new material, industry doesn't want it because there's no use case for it. Mm -hmm. You have to invent the widget before the material because you have to be doing something. Yeah. Um, so we were pushing that for the first year, no real progress. And it was actually the Cambridge Cleantech networking event that I was at a table and this whole cellulose concept got, got proposed. We were bouncing it around. Uh, and because my my co-founders are you know amazing people, there's Royal Society chemists, there's a you know professor of physics, um, so they're really smart people. So I just bounced the idea around with them. Like they say, you can't use cellulose because of X. Like it was brittle, uh, it doesn't block water, mm. and they're plastics people, and they're like, well, we can fix that. So we just had a sort of a side project to fix what that guy told me at dinner, and it just got traction. It's much more a la mode sustainability, recycling. And then we want to innovate smart grants. And so it grew from there. So right. actually it was a dinner conversation about recycling, which turned into... That's very Cambridge. Into That's that. very Cambridge. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. and how, how have you found that 
the the transition you're going through now from the lab and academia into the entrepreneurial journey is any of it scary for you or is it's completely every day i mean it's strange because some days there isn't much to do and some days it's 24 hours a day uh but there's always this existential angst so in the beginning it was can we even pay anyone a salary now it's what are we what are we doing like we need to actually scale up Mm. and we were scientists so we're good at the chemistry and we have got an engineer on board now but it is still intimidating to now go into the into the real life stuff because i remember this nice joke from it's a big bang theory the physicist knows how, why the chicken crossed the road, but it only works for a spherical chicken in a vacuum, if that makes <laughs> sense. And I guess I guess the, the point of that is that we're great at solving it in the lab, but as soon as it goes into production or someone actually touches it, it doesn't work. Or if someone else has to do it without our know-how, they can't do it. Like, it'll evaporate too quick and it won't be a barrier or, you know, they've got the ratios off by mm. fraction and it doesn't work anymore. So having it robust is also scary because we're used to doing it ourselves, and then it always works. Yeah. And when someone else has to do it without you watching over their shoulder, it's scary. And it's the real test of, of your invention, uh, because it has to be robust. So that's scary, I guess. So as the CEO, you must be thinking about not only scaling the technology, uh, but also scaling the company and the business. So clearly, by applying to the Venture Day, you're going to get in front of an investor audience. How else do you think about fundraising? You know, What other irons in the fire have you got? Well, since day one, that's really been my priority. We have to have the money in place, get people paid so they can focus on the work, and then the clarity about how we're growing. Otherwise, we're just messing around, right? Initially, it was easy because it's like Starter Grants, Innovate UK, they're easily accessible, and we were able to do some some little side hustles, consulting. Uh, when you have such talented people in your team, it's pretty easy to to get consulting gigs for them. Looking forward, the real reason for this Venture Day, for example, is... I want to get away from this existential angst every year. Will we win the next grant? They're also never going to be big enough for the stuff we're going to want to do in the future. So we need patient capital. I would also love maybe an advisor. So I don't want to be taking the first offer in a way. I really want someone who can maybe help me with the scale-up mentality and and the journey ahead uh, because we've very much been a submarine in the community because we've self-funded ourselves, because we've avoided the whole angel uh, network thing so far. Um, it's been a bit lonely and a bit overwhelming because every next stage is takes a year to figure out what you're doing yeah. uh, before you're good at it. So I guess I'm also hoping that we're going to get advisors or at least a non-exec on the board, someone that I can bounce things around with. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Can I just go back then and unpick that approach that you've taken in terms of self-funding and bootstrapping the, the kind of company? Because you know, quite often I think people immediately go to angel or VC conversations when you talk about startups. So what what was the what was the approach? Why was that the approach you took? It's it's a good question uh, because that is the I don't want to call it a fantasy because a lot of people make it successful, but that's the the ideal that you have, and it's yeah. also what I imagined when I started. I guess I'm from a risk banking background. When I when I looked at the company, I'm not sure I'd give myself the money. So you have to have that mentality. Like, would yeah. you, would you have approved this pitch? And I'm not even sure I'd approve my venture day pitch, frankly. Um, I know it'll work, but it's really hard to convince someone else, right? Mm. Um, so I did think there has to be some element of credibility to it. Mm. So maybe we weren't there yet. The IP wasn't clear. Who's going to buy it? The journey was was a bit early stage. So if you're really at the beginning, you're gambling on just these people. Do you trust these people and will they make a success? We will make a success. But the tech that we started with is not this cellulose tech. And so when you're so early stage, 
maybe the idea isn't actually done. So maybe you need to prove yourself that you can do that first step yourself. Yeah. Then you can raise money. That means you can write a business plan. You can actually find a first customer. That means that someone in the world wants it. Scalable. Everyone might want it then. So I do think you need to cross those hurdles maybe yourself before you go open hand for, for hundreds of thousands of pounds because that gives you credibility. So maybe I was needing that credibility to have confidence to ask for that kind of money because it's quite bold, isn't it, to come to a guy and say, you know, give me hundreds of thousands of your family's mm. inheritance, you know, for me to have a go at making a barrier packaging thing. No, I think that was a really interesting perspective. And I think it will be interesting to a lot of the listeners because we've done episodes with very early stage ideas coming out of the university at Homerton Changemakers and at the Epoch Business Plan competition. And I think it's just an interesting take and something that people should seriously consider. Additionally, the venture day, I think, is going to be really interesting because the ventures learn from each other. So you're going there to pitch for investment. You know, you might even attract an advisor there. But actually what we find, like like James said, is that when the entrepreneurs talk to each other, you actually realise you're all in the same both and you can do things maybe in a slightly different way so I think I think you'll find it really interesting and there's 18 of you in total so I'm sure there are there are lessons learned there absolutely I love to watch another another company's pitch uh, and sometimes they blow you away and sometimes you're like oh yeah I can see what you did wrong there in a way so it was a great pleasure great well thank you very much for your time and good luck with your pitch thank you very much guys Martin, we have heard there from both Sean and Andrew, who are representing Cambridge at the Cleantech Venture Day. Before we sign off, how do people get involved? Uh, well, if, if people want to come along and hear some of the uh, most innovative, these are these 18 highly innovative companies, uh, pitch about their solutions to uh, help overcome the climate uh, crisis. If they want to join the debate and do the networking as well and speak to the investors, uh, come along and join us. Uh, just go along to the uh, cambridgecleantech.org.uk website and uh, click on events, go to CVD and sign up. It's, it's 99 quid a ticket, so uh, now's your opportunity to, uh, to come along to the, to the show and join the debate and uh, have your say. That's, that's great, and, and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and home working mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919 600.